Hello and welcome to the fourth edition of Red Lake Roundtable. I'm really thrilled today but to be joined from out in Arizona, Adam Rosales, former Red. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Adam, I, I, again, I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted you to tell me just maybe a little bit about uh, memories of, of the Reds, the organization, playing for the team, just, just that kind of thing. Oh, my goodness, where do I start? You know, I got drafted by the Reds, by the Cincinnati Reds. That that first day that I got drafted was amazing to see that major league logo right next to my name, Adam Rosales, mm-hmm. Cincinnati Reds. And just the people that I met there when I when I was a rookie in rookie ball in Billings, Montana, uh, all the coaches I met, you know, Rick Burleson was my was my manager there. And Freddie Benavides was the oh, yeah. coordinator. And I know he's the first base coach now. Um Coach, I believe, um, but just people like that just embraced me and embraced the way I play the game, and it was kind of an easy transition from college into professional baseball. I just feel like I fit right in with the the Reds' philosophy of playing the game. Yeah, and, and we'll get through that a little bit. I, I was looking at your numbers and things like that. Uh, very impressive, obviously, um, with the way you, you track through the system. Now, you know, I, I talk to baseball guys all the time, and, and it's this idea of a lot of times the guys from the south or the west maybe had a leg up because of warm weather year-round, that kind of thing. You were born on May twentieth, 1983 in Chicago, <laughs> so you didn't have that southern uh, um, uh, climate, but you went to Main Township High School in Park Ridge, Illinois. Is that like a suburb of Chicago? Yeah, it's right by O'Hare Airport. Okay, sure, sure. And uh, but then you attended Western Michigan University. What was what was your your uh, matriculation over to Western Michigan? What was that like, and how'd you end up there? So I only had three offers to play Division One baseball: Eastern Illinois, Illinois State, and Western Michigan. It would have been easy just to stay in state, especially for my parents, you know, with the tuition and everything, to stay in Illinois. But Coach Fred Decker, when I met him. And the confidence that he had in me right away, I felt it. He was giving me the opportunity. If I, well, it wasn't given to me, but he said that I could possibly be the starting shortstop as a freshman. Where the other colleges were like, you're probably going to redshirt. I'm like, I just want to play. And Fred Decker just always had confidence in me. And the coach, the coaching that he gave me was unbelievable. Um, so I decided to go to Western Michigan, and it was just an unbelievable four years of my life. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, and, and obviously, that's uh, is that Kalamazoo? Yeah. Um, I guess. What did you think of of you know the college town, the, the college experience? You feel like you had a typical college, you know? Yeah, pretty pretty typical. You know, the guys; those are like my brothers now. You know, like I call them up, I get to chat with them every now and then. But those are those are like my my brother is the best way I can explain it. Um, just those, those relationships that I've built with those guys are, you know, everlasting, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned you were drafted by the Reds. That was the 12th round in the 2005 draft. Um, what was draft day like? I know certainly today the, the top round guys might even be over in, in New Jersey, at MLB network and things like that, but, but you get picked in the 12th round. What was it like? How did you find out? Oh my goodness! It was the most one of the most thrilling days of my life. Uh, it was June seventh, uh, two thousand five, and my mom and my cousin Noah they were watching the draft as it was, you know, mm-hmm. 
they were selecting players. And I'm like, guys, I'm not going the first day. You might, you might just want to wait till tomorrow. And then they actually started screaming. I didn't see it until they, they're like, oh my gosh, your name popped up. You know, <laughs> it was, uh, and I just went and, and I, from, from that moment, I went to, with my brother and my cousin, we went out to the ball field and started playing ball. I was just so geeked. Oh yeah. I get to play some ball. But now as a coach, I'm, I'm coaching in the Oakland A's organization now. I managed the last three years in rookie ball. So I get to see these draft guys come in. Mm-hmm. And it, I always look for the, the 12th round draft pick. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, want to tell him he's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. You know, give him some kind of confidence. Yeah, and certainly 12th round, there's no guarantees, right? I mean, you, right. your work your work kind of started probably that day. I mean, you said you went out right. to the field right away. Right away. Um, but hey, man, you, you know it's only three years later you make your major league debut. Technically, uh, August 9, two thousand eight, uh, you get to play in your first game. What, what was that like? Unbelievable. Well, Jerry Nering was the the manager. My first big league, exp- my first big league spring training experience. Okay. Yeah. So it was the year after I was playing at Western Michigan. I'm in the Reds dugout at Ed Smith Stadium, and the Yankees are out on the field. Wow. We're about to play the Yankees, and Jerry Nearing called me over. He said, hey, last year you were in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and now you get to play against the New York Yankees. How do you feel? <laughs> so, And then, obviously, Derek Jeter, you know, he was raised in Kalamazoo, and just that, that connection, uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing, the, the, the journey that I got to, to go on. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about minor league life. Uh, how did it compare to – you know, college at Western Michigan. I don't know how the travel would have been different. What was it like? I feel like I had, I feel like I had the advantage to be honest with you, because, you know, a lot of these kids that come from really prestigious schools mm-hmm. and Western Michigan is a great school, but we only have like eight fans in the stands and there's like only parents and it's freezing outside. When guys coming from LSU, Arizona state, they have a student section, you know, yeah, yeah. Or they actually got some energy at the game. So when we actually had a thousand fans in the stands and Billings, I was geeked. My, you know, my hair was on fire. I was like, this is great. But <laughs> all these other guys like, oh my gosh, we got to go to the minor league stuff. But I embraced it. I loved it. I mean, the fans, you know, when they're in the stands are great, but just the game itself, you know, I just always had such a deep respect for the game of baseball and just getting to pro ball just, I just, like I said, I embraced it. I yeah. loved every moment of it. No matter if we're eating at midnight at, at random Denny's in a random town. Um, I just embraced every moment. And the reason why I did was because the guys that I, were, I was with, my teammates that I was with, just they're they're in the same boat I was in. And we just kind of uh, helped each other out the best we could. Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly – uh, positive mindset alone will probably help you. And and, and you were kind of well known for being more upbeat, I guess, than maybe most guys or, or <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, let's talk about uh, even go back to Billings. Who are some of the guys that you were in Billings with? Some some names we'd recognize. Well, I remember. Uh, well, Travis Wood, one of the pitchers, Johnny Cueto yeah. was there, and then I I uh, later that season, Jay Bruce came. Uh, Josh Renicky, a couple of these guys. I'm trying to think of other guys that I was there with, but those are the guys that stand out right away. 
that you know made it to the major leagues at least. Um, when you talk about Jay Bruce, and maybe we'll chat a little more later about in the big leagues with him, but but he was that guy, right? The the top draft pick, all that stuff. What was it like to kind of see a guy that? I mean, did he stand out that way, right, when he got there? If you didn't know he was that high draft pick, would he have would he have stood out in that way? Well, not on the field. On the field, he did. Like, off the field, yeah. super humble, very uh-huh. um, great guy with everybody, great teammate, have a ton of respect for Bruce. Um, on the field, the way the ball came off his bat, how fast he was running, how smooth he was, how strong his arm was, how his instincts in the game were. Mm-hmm. blew everybody out of the water you know it was just it was really fun to watch how advanced he was well and even he was a high school kid so you know you and some of your other teammates maybe had gone through at least a couple years of college and here he was just fresh out of high school so that that I mean I guess if you can see that that's definitely awesome and, and certainly we saw it as fans when he when he got to come up yeah. um I wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh your your 2008 you played nearly a full season at, at Louisville uh that's a triple a team obviously i am good friends with matt andrews i don't know if you remember oh, yeah. the announcer uh, i went to college with him he was in my wedding um and actually i got down there a time or two i was working with local uh media here in columbus ohio and i came down and interviewed tom shern uh <laughs> because he was from columbus and he made that run up where he got called up yeah um you know you led the the team in at bats and hits that year you had 124 hits and only 117 games you led the team in doubles you hit 287. You got on base, um, and, and I actually reached out to Matt Andrews and asked him a little bit about you. And he said you you were a, a crowd favorite, and he also said that uh, you helped kind of spur those three consecutive division titles that manager Rick Sweet they called it the the Sweet Three Peat. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about that season if you remember oh. much about it and kind of oh your know, life in Louisville. It was a magical season. Yeah. To say the least, that was the season that uh, got me over the hump in my career. Because, I, yeah, I climbed up really quick in the Reds organization. A lot of player development helped me out. But in 2008, not many people know. I mean, if you look deeper into the stats, in June or in July, late in the season, I was hitting a buck 80 something, buck 90 something. And I think they were talking about sending me back to double A. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A lot of people don't know that. And that's what I would tell a lot of young kids. Like, you don't know how close you really are. But, you know, I started doing more like the mental side of the game. I really started tapping into that, uh, you know, Gary Max book, Mind Gym. I started reading that again. Um, but I really started focusing on the important things in baseball. I started understanding how important a routine is not just a routine, but a working routine. And my hitting coach, Smokey Garrett, Adrian Garrett, you know, I I love that man so much. Um, Just the way he was with me in the batting cage, the, the the patience he had with me, the wisdom that he gave me, helped me understand what kind of player I could be. Another guy, Andy green, right? He's the, I believe still the, Oh, maybe he's not the bench coach for the Cubs anymore because but he was the bench coach for the Cubs last couple of years. He was my teammate in Louisville. And he, I remember I was struggling. We're both competing for the same job. He pulls me aside and says, you're better than this. You know, you could play to a higher potential. And 
after we had that conversation, I started playing a lot better, just knowing that people were in my corner. I started believing that, started trusting that. I mean, I was just an inch away from my ultimate dream, and that was playing one game in the major leagues. That's all I wanted to do. But it's you have you're so close, but yet so far, and you got to make sure that you are super focused, not just every day, but every single pitch. And I was hyper focused on every single pitch, and I turned it around. Yeah, I remember that Rick Sweet and I still talk about the time we were in Toledo, and Toledo was up on us in the division. And we came back and won that game. I hit a, I think it was a three-run homer to tie it or give us the lead on a slider in Toledo. And it was kind of like a turning point of our season, I felt like. And, you know, it started that that sweet three-peat. <laughs> but that 2008 season, I, mean, I can go on for days talking about how magical that truly was personally for me. But it was, it was, it was awesome to be a part of that. And uh, obviously Rick Sweet, it was cool when he called me up to the major leagues. You know, it was, that was really well done by him and, and my teammates. How, how did that happen? Tell me a little bit about that. So I was in the batting cage by myself, just working, you know, just working, doing my daily routine. And, uh, I come back from the batting cage and there's nobody in the clubhouse. Hmm. I'm like, what the, what, this is kind of weird. <laughs> Something's amiss here. And Rick Sweet comes out of nowhere. He says, he starts yelling at me. Like you're late to practice. You're, you're late to stretch again. I'm like, well, I'm never late to stretch. He's like, you know, what? I'm, I'm sick of this. Pack your bags. You're going to Cincinnati. <laughs> and then a couple of teammates, like jumped out of the lockers or jumped out behind walls and stuff. And, and, uh, it was pretty sweet the way he did it. It was really special. And just that's that's one moment in my life where time just stopped for me. Yeah. And I'm a Cincinnati Red wow. in the major leagues. It's, it's super special. You know, you were talking about how things can change even within the middle of a season. Um, I was thinking about that the other day. I was listening to a few things on how much this current Reds team coming up with so many young guys. Like, like what's this guy going to do? What, what do we expect out of this guy? And certainly when the season's over, those numbers get stamped on the baseball card, and that's your numbers, right? But, but day to day, the important thing, especially I, th- I would think for a young player, would be to understand that you know I might be really down right now, but that doesn't mean I can't pull it back up. And y- what you just told me is is a testimony to that. That's for sure. There's no question. It's at this game. It's all about momentum, right? And and having confidence. You know, if you can get that momentum, it's going to be like stopping a semi-truck it's gonna be really hard or stopping a freight train yeah once you get that momentum in this game and you're confident and you're sure and you surround yourself with the right people and you trust your coaches it's gonna be it's gonna be a game changer you can do some special stuff when that happens well no doubt let's let's talk about a few of those guys we already talked a little bit about jay bruce he was on that 08 team uh with you in part and then uh tell me a little bit about you played with drew stubbs um he has certainly had a good career in the major leagues what was what was he like was he as fast as as um, what we remember him as he was just like a deer running around <laughs> and just smooth everything he, he did effortless, was smooth. yeah yeah effortless um and another great kid another texas kid right I can't yeah, university texas. of texas yeah. yeah university of texas um just a fantastic kid hard worker focused determined these are the things i just remember about drew stubbs and um, just had a you know a solid relationship with him as well, and then uh, you know there's a there's a subset of Reds fans who have a real soft spot spot in their hearts for 
Paul Yanish. He was oh, yeah. he was such a good defender at shortstop, uh, and he was on that team with you as well. Yeah, Yanish. Um, you know, he was always ahead of me. You know, mm-hmm. he was the, the shortstop ahead of me, and the respect that we had for each other um, as we're going up to the system, and just you know, he just really talk about a great teammate. Just the way he is with other people. And how smart he was. Another Texas guy. Yeah. You know, he went to Rice University. Um, and just the, the, that's like the sixth tool, you know, I feel like in baseball. You know, you got the five-tool player. But the sixth tool is the intelligence, um, the baseball IQ, the, the way you are with your teammates, the leadership. Talk about Paul Yanish and the leadership that he had at all times. Hmm. Um, just a solid human being and has a great family too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh Chris Dickerson, even I remember he came up <laughs> that year, the year after, and even then he's 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 advocating for uh, uh conservation and, and yeah. not uh not being wasteful and, and recycling and things like that. He even even you know, he's got to worry about being a big leaguer or making staying in the big leagues and yet he, he was sticking his neck out to try to, you know, go behind a cause he believed in. Yeah, no, he does a great job. I know he's still he's still dealing with that um for the planet and He's another good leader. These guys are – and that's the coolest thing about playing Major League Baseball, even playing minor league baseball, playing college ball. You learn these these leadership skills and, and the qualities, these, these character traits that these young men have and that they're determined to do great things with their lives, you know. And you just want to surround yourself with people like that. Would you say kind of experience and all that, even from your coaches, but also those fellow players that were leaders, is that kind of – go into the mix to make you the coach you are today? Oh, no question. I mean, talk about a guy like Paul Yanish, you know, how smart he was. I mean, there's many other teammates like him that I had that if I was just observing or if I had a a conversation with um, just the way they go about their business, the patience that they have, um, the the way they know how to listen and to implement what they, they learn. A lot of great leadership skills that you learn from players, and you just try to emulate what they kind of do and, and do your best to implement that. You were also uh, around Homer Bailey, and, and certainly at that time, I remember the meteoric rise he had up through the system. Um, you know, that was kind of like a rock star status, wasn't it? Like he was, and the Reds certainly had gone through a time when they didn't have as many homegrown starting pitchers. So he was the lone guy at that at that point. Did you? Did you sense the pressure that was kind of on him and, and the things he was dealing with? Well, he always he always was confident in himself. You know, he always was sure of what he had to get done. And talk about a hard worker, determined, focused. Um, no, he was great. Uh, actually, he came to the A's, was it, I think it was two, was it last year or two years ago? He came to, like, he was like a, a free agent, and he came to do like some. I think he pitched in AAA for the A's for a little bit. I might be wrong about that, but yeah, he was down in he was down in the ACL rehabbing or not rehabbing, but like getting ready mm-hmm. to condition his arm. And he was pitching for my team during the ACL season or the extended spring training season. And I'm his manager now. Right? <laughs> his, his pitch count is up, so I walk out to the mound. To get the ball from them because the pitch counts up. And I said, Homer, I never thought this would happen in my life, but I got to take you out of the game. 
it kind of just, he was really focused. He, yeah. I don't know if you didn't think that was too funny, but he just you know he does what he does. He's, he he takes baseball really seriously, and he was uh, I always respected that about Homer Bailey. Well, and certainly he's the type of guy who you know, the, like I said, the expectations were so high, and maybe at first some fans didn't necessarily say, "Oh, he met these expectations," but eventually he did. It paid off in a big way. Let's say he didn't throw two no hitters. How many? Yeah, he uh, did. He threw two no hitters. He was part of that staff in 2012 and 13 that made all those starts. Uh, they were so reliable. Is the exact opposite. You know, the Great American Ballpark with the sh- short fences and things like that. Right. People always thought, "Well, you, you're never going to have good pitching here." And boy, if you look at look at the numbers, look at Baseball Reference in 2012 and 13, that staff with Bailey and Latos and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Bronson Arroyo and Cueto and, and and those guys. I mean, it just was it was unbelievable. And, yeah. and uh, Mike Leake, um, and certainly, um, but you know, just amazing the way they were able to come through. And he was right there with them through, like you said, the two no hitters. Um, got the got the next contract and all that. Um, you had guys like Aaron Harang, David Weathers, Kent Merker, David Ross, Jeff Keppinger. They all kind of came down maybe during injury rehabs or those kind of things. Can you tell me a little bit about being in AAA and having big leaguers come down? Like, what's that like? To, do all the guys gather around and try to pick their brains and things like that? And, you know, I know, like, if you watch Bull Durham, you know, they're all trying to find out from Crash Davis what it's like in the show. Yeah, you, you do. You, you do your best. Me, I was kind of like, I don't know, kind of let them do their thing. And that's yeah. like kind of like they, uh, they're down there. And just how respectful they are. I know I keep saying the word respect a lot, but I feel like that's a lot in the Cincinnati Reds organization. There's a lot of respect, but guys like that, you yeah, would come down and you would see them and you would be like, Oh my goodness. Like, and they're just humans, you know, they, they kind of like, they encourage to give you some kind of encouragement that you're really close to get here. And then when you actually do get there, they embrace you. Like you've been there for 10 years already, you know? Um, yeah, but there's, you know, I, I got to know Keppinger, got to learn from him. Got, you know, he was always like that, uh, kind of like my role in a sense. Like he, he was more of an everyday player, but more like a utility, sure. super utility type player. But yeah, just the way he played the game was fun to watch. I always respected that. When you keep talking about respect and those kind of things and the way the organization was, we're talking about the doorstep there of, of winning the division two out of three years, 2010. 2012 and 2013 well they made the playoffs in 2013 so so that was the seeds of coming up through and really creating that that atmosphere of, of being a better team wasn't it so like i guess all this makes sense now if when you boil it down and look yeah. at what was happening in triple a back in 08 right exactly i think the whole system I, my, my experience with player development and the cincinnati reds organization was I mean, it was a perfect fit for me for myself mm-hmm. and it just I, I appreciate it every day you know we mentioned you you got called up in 08 there. Uh, you, you told the story about how you got the news. What was it like then going on up to the big leagues? And kind of, you know, do you remember much about the day you, you played in the first game and all that? Yeah. It, it, oh, my goodness. How do I explain it? It's just kind of like out-of-body experience when you walk into that clubhouse. Just you could just smell the big leagues, you know. <laughs> like it just smelled like just everything's just um, – pristine everything and all the there's more people helping you now right you know like they're you know they have a lot of metrics nowadays a lot of uh guys that do all the break down the break down the all the stats and everything they they had some uh, guys that would do that but it was not like it was before but still like resources like that mm-hmm. that were there for you the there's more trainers there's more coaches that just that help you out so that was kind of 
you know, it's like luxury. It's luxurious to have that. It's like, how do you fail in the big leagues? You got everything you need. Right. And then obviously like the travel, I, I don't know how the travel works, you know, until I get there, you get off the bus, off the steps and you walk right up the steps onto a plane and there's food waiting for you on the plane. <laughs> I'm like, right, right. Where like I can never go back to AAA now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I heard somebody the other day talking about how everything is is better and everything is like um, it, it makes it easier, I guess, uh, until you step on the field and actually have to dig yeah. in against against somebody. I mean, Roy Oswald or whoever else at the time would have been pitching to you. Like it's just like, yeah. oh my goodness. Um, so tell me a little bit about the first at bat or the first game. What what, what was that part yeah. of it like? It was with Texas. It was. Again, not Texas. That's Houston, mm-hmm. and a big ratty Paulino. Yeah. Was. And I had a, it was a pinch hit. Dusty, talk about. I mean, Dusty, what a manager. I mean, love that man. But he put me in a pinch hit. Big ratty Paulino from Houston throws me a first pitch. There was like a ninety-six mile power fastball, and I crush it. I like caught a lot of barrel. I shouldn't say I crush it. I caught <laughs> a lot of barrel, and it flew. To right field, and the right fielder is going back, back, and I'm like, I think I got it. <laughs> he jumps up and catches it at the wall. Oh no! And you know, like me, so I, I love sprinting bases around the whole, you know, sprinting around the bases on a home run, and I'm already like around second base at this time <laughs> when the guy in right field catches it, and I come running off the field, and all the fans in the front row, a couple rows back, are all cheering for me just because they knew that was my first at bat and the the energy that I brought was uh, pretty special. Well, and I guess you've opened the door then. Um, Certainly you were known if you did catch one to, to go first to home faster than anybody. Uh, They would even time you. I remember, and Chris Welsh was one of the TV announcers. He'd, he'd talk (laughs) about it. He'd have his little stopwatch going. Uh, What was that? What was that like? I mean, I guess you just felt like you wanted to, you had to run hard every during every play, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I started doing it when I was a kid, you know, that's, when I was 12 years old, I hit my first home run over a fence. And the first home run I hit, I just kind of jogged around the bases. And it didn't feel right. You know, so I'm like, from now on, instead of jogging, I'm going to sprint around the bases. And that was when I was 12 years old. You know, I had like the the, the intuition to say, you know what, that could have just barely clipped the fence. I could have been standing on first base. I should be on third base, you know. Mm-hmm. So from that day forward, from when I was 12 years old and on, I made a promise to myself, if I got to play at a higher level, I would play the same way I did when I was 12 years old. So basically it was a, a promise that I kept to myself, really, mm-hmm. that I would play the same way as you see the, hopefully kids nowadays play. Really, like they really well, love the game. and let's be honest, you were playing in Cincinnati. So uh, uh, <laughs> with Pete Rose's persona all around that, that stadium and, and the city itself, he grew up there. He played there. Uh, you know, that was, that was all it's, it's always like endearing from the fans to the player that runs hard, that tries hard, that does all that. Like you were a crowd favorite immediately because of that. Yeah. They, they made a joke a couple of times. They called me Pete Rose Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. Um, yeah. They do appreciate that. I think fans really do appreciate that. They can see it. They sense it. They they sense when somebody's got that pure love of the game, that passion for the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you spent a lot of 2009 on the big league roster in Cincinnati. Um, and actually, baseball reference, if you go to the seasons, 
um, the player that plays the most of the position or, or something like that, they, that's where the, you know, they list what they call starters or whatever. And, and you were the main third baseman on that list. And I know you came into the uh, minor leagues as a college shortstop, uh, but you mentioned being more of a utility player. You know, what was it like to maybe find a little bit of a home there and, and, and play quite a bit of third base for a major league team? Yeah, I think I remember that year Jeff Kepinger went to Houston at spring training, I believe. He got trade eaters. And so they opened up a spot, kind of, but I still didn't make the team mm-hmm. out of uh, spring training. And then Edwin Encarnacion got hurt, and that left the door wide open for me. They gave Dusty gave me the opportunity to play third base almost every day, you know, so um, yeah, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. You know, it started – uh, becoming more real to me too. That first rookie year, especially where I come from, is kind of uh, like I said, out of body experience. Um, you know, there's times where I'm facing Kerry Wood. He was pitching for the Indians at the time. It was a big game between whatever the, the Ohio Battle of Ohio, the Ohio yeah, Battle of Ohio, Cincinnati, <laughs> and Cleveland are playing each other, and I'm facing Kerry Wood, who I just watched back in 2003 on my uh, Western Michigan. You know, they're. Yeah. They got that where they almost almost went to the the World Series. I think it was the NLCS they were going mm-hmm. to. Anyway, um, remember so facing Kerry Wood, that was like one of the times where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm really here. I'm starting almost every day. Let's keep it going, kind of thing. It's like it's it's pretty amazing feeling trying to establish yourself in the major leagues, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course. Later that season, a guy named Scott Rowland came over in a trade. So uh, I guess he played a little more third base the rest of the year. Uh, Certainly, that was a a big trade. I mean, I actually, uh, I spoke last week with Scott Hattieberg, and um, we talked a little bit about the fact that Edwin Encarnacion became this this amazing player. And he certainly, if you dig into his numbers with the Reds, he was so young. Like in 06, he's only 23, I think. Right. And yet, uh, there, if you if you really dig into those numbers, you can see like almost the the sprouting of of what he actually eventually became. And you always, right. I wonder as a fan, hey, did they give up a little early on the guy? And certainly, Scott Rowland was an important cog to those next couple of years, though. Yeah, right. Oh my goodness, and Scott Rowland, Hall of Famer. I'm so happy for him. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's he was great with me too. You know, a lot of guys as I grew older, I noticed a lot of guys like to do. They're work on their own. Yeah. You know, before the pregame stuff, like get their stuff done and then get to their go to bat in practice, whatever. But he was always welcoming me to work with me. Uh, he always gave me great tips about playing third base. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's times where he was firm, you know, and like this is what you should expect as a third baseman. It's just a Hall of Fame moment, man. Like to, to get that kind of coaching from your own teammate yeah it's like it's just invaluable right just to be in that presence and learning that much so now i I try to apply to my career but now i can pass that down to these players i work with now well you always you you always ran so hard yourself as we've already talked about but you know the the thing in my mind of that i remember in 2010 in the all-star game uh roland and vado and brandon phillips were all there and uh they had maybe even it was uh one of them was miked, and I think actually I think Phillips was miked in the in the dugout, and Rowland goes first to third in an All Star game, and uh, that was uh, first to third. That's what we do in Cincinnati, you know. And yeah. I mean, did, was it how true was it that he just stepped in and kind of 
laid down the law, I guess, and set that example immediately. There's such a presence about Scott Rowland. Yeah. Um, talk about his leadership skills and the way he communicates with his teammates, the way he communicates with his manager. It is – he just does it the right way, you know. And it starts – we talk about respecting the game. There's no other person I know that respects the game as much as Scott Rowland does, you know, and it's just uh, – it shows. Well, yeah, I mean, it's certainly amazing, amazing. And now that he's in, that's awesome. Uh, now, listen, you you went on to play 11 years in the big leagues, you know, throughout throughout time there. You played in 651 major league games. From 2016 to 2018, you played in a, over 100 games a year, which I would call that more super utility role than just utility. Um, can you reflect a little bit on over a decade of, of at least, you know, partially, you know, big league baseball? Yeah, I mean, I got really good at being able to do that role. I feel like the older I got, I'm like, I started understanding that this role is not easy to do. This is actually a pretty special niche. Right. And then I'm actually doing it. And the reason why I was able to do it, it's actually advice from Joey Votto that he gave me. Uh, and when I was actually playing, I was playing with the Reds, but we were playing here in Arizona at Chase Field. And I, I was struggling. And Votto came up to me and said, hey, can you do me a favor? Like, Whatever you want, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> he said, can you be patient with yourself? And I just took that, like, whenever you get, like, a, a nugget like that from your teammate, it can come from somebody else on the street, and you won't take it the same way. But when it comes like yeah. that from your teammate, someone that's in the trenches, trenches with you, in the foxhole with you, you take that, you digest it, and you, you make sure you do it. Mm-hmm. So be patient with yourself. And I I learned how to be more patient. I was reminded often through my career to be patient. And it always went back to Joey Votto telling me that. It always stuck true to my brain. Yeah. Be patient. And that's what helped me be a, a decent super utility player that I can uh, be serviceable to a major league team is that I was patient to wait my turn. You know, in Texas, you guys, you got, you got Adrian Beltre at third base. You got, Elvis Andrews at short, Ian Kinsler at second, Mitch Moreland at first. Wow! Yeah. I wasn't going to see the infield for maybe two <laughs> weeks on end, you know? Right. So talk about being patient and making sure you're working your tail off uh, in batting practice or seeing live pitching, making sure you take that like a game. So when your time comes, you're ready to perform and you're ready to help a major league baseball team win a game. Yeah. Was what I got really good at doing because – of teammates like Joey Votto really caring about me and letting me know like how I could be really good at baseball. Well, you mentioned, you know, being in Texas, did you have a favorite stop after Cincinnati or a a memorable moment you'd like to share? I mean, I I have to go with with the A's. I feel like that was such a big uh, pivotal part of my career when Billy Bean called me up and said, we've been trying to get you for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I had just read Moneyball a couple years ago, and I'm part of it. Um, but that was pivotal. But my the most memorable baseball moment of my life is playing in Dallas Braden's perfect game. Okay, yeah, in 2010 on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. It, the Mother's Day before in 2009, I hit my first major league home run off of Adam Wainwright, which should be my most memorable moment yeah. of my life, right? 
<laughs> it was on, yeah, on Mother's Day too. But the next Mother's Day, Dallas Braden throws that perfect game. And that just was unbelievable. And in Oakland at the Coliseum, it was pretty – it was really special. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Well, we spoke a little bit about – you brought up Joey Votto. I want to go down through a couple of your Reds teammates, if you don't mind. Um, you, you, the story you just told about Votto, you know, totally understandable now as we look back on his amazing career. But but he would have had to tell you that, you know, you're around the same age. He wasn't in the big leagues that long. He, he kind of shared that with you. Um, did he have that kind of presence, though? Obviously, he was really cerebral, it feels like. So he probably had that, that kind of presence about him. Yeah. Like you said, really cerebral, intellectual, that six tool, mm-hmm. just knowing the game like a chess master, almost, you know, like just the art and science of the game. He had it down, he's got it down perfectly. Um, and just to that leadership, that kind of like that, like, uh, you know, he didn't speak too much, but when he did, everybody would listen, kind of thing, you know. And for me, I just had a really good relationship with him. I just think he, appreciated the way I played the game. He appreciated where I came from. Uh, and he just kind of like, uh, I, I felt like he was looking out for me, you know, in a sense, like he really cared that I was his teammate. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess we've already talked about some of these other guys when we were talking about AAA and things like that. What about Brandon Phillips? Uh, you know, the athleticism at second base, you know, a natural shortstop gets moved over to second. Um, you had to appreciate that, I assume, given given your growing up as a shortstop. Yeah, and just the way his 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 good energy that it brings to the field, you know, yeah. he, he just lights up a room. His big smile lights up a room, you know, and just and the way he plays the game, smooth with style. Like a lot a lot more kids play like that nowadays. I feel like, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I always try like not not that I try to do that, but like you kind of like you watch a guy like that, you're like dang that's smooth i wish i was more let me try to do that and i try to do it i'm like man i just made three errors in two games i can't do that going between the legs or (laughs) me but sometimes he'd make those plays and it was it wasn't because he could showboat and do it it was because that's what called for in the moment but it's like he's got to be practicing just for that moment there's no Right, there's no question. He just and just the confidence. It's like what kids do on the playground. You know that he was just right. confident to do it in a major league baseball game when the game was on the line. Like, yeah, I mean, I see my kid on the driveway basketball court. He going to behind the back. I'm like, you you right. can't make that pass. Like, <laughs> why do you keep doing that? And and actually, he did make it in a game a few weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, hey. all right, whatever. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Hey, I guess I, I can't get off here without asking you. Uh, you've got this awesome wall behind you. Yeah. I, can see, I can see Pujols and Ricky Henderson, certainly. Yeah, well, I got Votto oh, up there, too. Oh, there's Votto. And, and yeah, okay. McGuire, Mark McGuire was my hitting coach. In, well, not hitting coach. He was the bench coach in San Diego. And you got yeah. Bruce. I got Bruce's New York jersey. I was in New York. We are playing against him in New York, and I just asked for his jersey. And he okay. signed. We all write, like, really special messages. Yeah. And then I got well, another room I got, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, probably my favorite teammate of all time, yeah. uh, Derek Jeter, and then Sean Dunstan. And, yeah, my wife and I got to do this. Um, we, we put together the office. It's really special. She's got all the tickets. We have this glass table that I got my laptop on right now that she collected all – she kept all of her tickets wow. from all the games that she was there to watch me play. And it comes out to be almost 600 tickets. So she got to enjoy a lot of baseball. And, her and her family love love baseball, so it's really cool. 
all the stuff that we have in here is really absolutely what i guess if you don't mind just picking a few especially like a guy like ricky henderson you're involved with the athletics um but his career was kind of you know coming to an end as you got you know you went off to college what's what's ricky henderson mean to you i always i love his his story the way he and just the way he played the game, I always was drawn to him when I was a kid. Just Ricky Henderson, those neon uh, yeah. batting gloves, like it just, just you know, a little. I don't know. I thought it was cool, you know. And I got to, I got to hang out with him a lot. I mean, hang out like in the clubhouse. You know, he played cards with us, and just, just the confidence that he has is like, man, I wish I could just take a piece of that. <laughs> and just, um, he just, I don't know. He just loves the game. He was around us a lot, and I just asked him to sign a jersey. And a lot of the stuff that we have in the office, I forgot what I was collect. I'm not a big collector at all. Okay. Like, I'm really not. I just kind of like there's moments in the where I was like, oh yeah, I probably should ask if I can have a jersey. Sure. And it just so happened that Ricky was one of them that I asked. But what are the yeah. photos with the jerseys? Are those just uh, just the highlights of their? You get to see. Yeah. Okay. So, so like- I just put them. Like, we designed them and put them together, and and just I don't know. We just. Thought it was pretty neat to do. And we got my jerseys, all the teams I played for over here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And my big one, the big one is the Cincinnati jersey. I have my, my first home run bat. Okay. Definitely not sure if you want a tour, but I can give you a tour. No, go ahead. That's awesome. Right. Me, so this is the one I'm really proud of. Like, this is like <laughs> dusty. Let me see if I get a light right here. Oh, yeah. Look at that. So we got the first home run bat, the first home run ball, first hit, and then all the all the cars that Dusty Baker saved for me, like my major league debut, and the first time I played at Wrigley Field. So, yeah, my impression of Dusty um, from the outside looking in, he's just so thoughtful. It seems like, and and him saving those, like you know, you you maybe just came up, and certainly people understand how important debuts are and things like that. I, I get that, but. But he's got a lot going on, right? I mean, he's trying to manage a big league ball club, and and yet that's he's like, "Hey, I bet Rosie would." And, and first of all, that's the first person I ever heard call you Rosie. I know it's mm-hmm. kind of your nickname, uh, but he's like, "Hey, I've got to. I want to save this for him." I mean, that that had to mean a lot. It's so special to to me and to my family, and it it reminds me to pay attention to detail. Mm-hmm. For whoever I surround myself with in my life, I, I mean, I'm I'm probably the worst at it, but like, I, it, it encouraged me to get better at really paying attention and listening to people because Dusty was great at that. And sure, yeah, like every time I bring somebody in, you know, there's a, a family that comes visit us or friends in the neighborhood that come and see this stuff, and they you know, I always talk about Dusty Baker. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see a signature right on the card and the, the little note he put exactly like, uh, what is it? My first hit or first, he, it's like a special, like a detailed note. Like it was a 2-0 count. You got a yeah. base hit to center field, wow. right? So like, it's like, like you said, he has a ton of stuff going on, but how much he really cares mm-hmm. about his players was is just really special to me. Sure, sure. Well, hey, I guess last thing I'll talk to you about, if you don't mind, um, what you're doing now. As you mentioned earlier, you've been kind of the, I guess, well, the, technically like the rookie league or the complex league manager for the A's organization for a couple of years now. Tell me a little bit about that and then kind of what's coming up this this baseball season. Yeah, so I got to be the manager for the rookie league for the last three years, and I loved it. It was 
probably one of the biggest challenges of my life. I think I'd rather be hitting a slider than managing, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really good challenge for me to do that. And I appreciate Ed, Ed Sprague is the, the farm director for the, the Oakland A's oh, right now. Former Blue Jay, right? Yes. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, just for him sticking with me for those three years of under, letting me understand what it really takes to be a manager and to develop like that as a coach. So now I know like all the different ins and outs of what it really takes to be a manager at this level. I know it's completely different going up. Sure. But, sure. Um, with that said, now I'm going to be just like a, a bench coach, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm doing hitting, infield, base running, some outfield probably, which makes me more of like a utility coach, right? Yeah. That I can kind of cover everything and, you know, I have that experience. But it is the – so I'll be down here because my I'm ra- we're raising our kids here in Arizona, mm-hmm. which is really special for me to, to have this gig as well with the Oakland A's. But it's really neat. Because we get to work with last year was 100% Latin American players that come from the, the academy in the Dominican Republic, and it is really neat to connect with them and to learn their culture and to their young men that are just hungry to succeed, and it's just really neat to help them develop the best we can. You know, obviously, there's a lot of challenges that come with that, but it's a very rewarding challenge and just to work with the great staff that we have here with the Oakland A's is, is really special too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have aspirations on climbing that ladder too? Or, I mean, is your goal to kind of stick around in Arizona with your family or how do you, how do you see the next few years? Yeah, I do have ambitions to do that. That's why, I mean, I, I like to read a lot of books about um, leadership. I like to read a lot of books about baseball, the mental side of the game. I like to study the the different metrics of baseball to to because I do have that ambition to to climb up and to be part of a World Series team. Mm-hmm. Like that's that was my my number one goal. Like I said, was to my number one goal was to play one game right at Wrigley Field in the major leagues because I'm from Chicago. That was like my number one goal. But once I did that, I'm like, what's next? That was winning a World Series. I wanted to win a World Series so bad. That's what I took all my off seasons. I bust my tail or played winter ball because I was dedicated to win a world series, but I didn't get to do that as a player, but I do, it would be, I do have ambition to do that as a coach, you know, to be a part of a world series team uh, would be really special for, for my family and for myself. But at the same time, to be transparent is that my, my, my world series right now, you know, are my, my, my nine-year-old daughter, my seven-year-old son and my wife, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm playing for right now for, for me personally. So that's where I'll be, you know, God willing that, that uh, we, I get to stay here in Arizona, that there's mm-hmm. an opportunity that presents itself for me as a coach here, but this is where I want to be to, to raise my family and to, to see my, my children and my wife. Well, absolutely. Hey, Adam Rosales, I want to say how much I appreciate you taking the time this morning. I really appreciate you. And uh, certainly I, I, I just, you know, that, that grind that you put yourself through day after day, year after year, um, you reap the benefits, like I said, over a decade in the major leagues and uh, just congratulations on a great career. No, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to chat with you.
All right. You have a great day. And thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Wait for the next time on Red Lake Roundtable.